What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr.'s, John Morant's, Joe Johnson's, John Raff's, of course. Josh, it's finally here. We get to talk about the basketball that's going to happen next season. Instead of talking about the basketball that's already happened, it's very, very exciting. Josh, how are you? It is truly one of the highlights of the year when we get to start our conference previews. I know we both we both got so excited we started working ahead just so we got to do more of it. Exactly. But we get our first, we get our first guest today. Which is nice. We do get our first guest today. We instead of being married to a to a order in which we preview conferences, basically we're just going to preview conferences in the order that we have people to talk about them with. Um, hence, instead of starting with the ACC and chronological order. Um, we're starting with the Big East in week one of our conference previews. Of course, you've already heard um, Josh and I's conversation about the conference, but now we bring in a guy that is no stranger to this podcast or the Big East, um, Lucas Harkins, Hardwired Sports on Twitter. Lucas, my guy, how are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. You know, we, we really had a um, an intentional conversation about people we could potentially get for the Big East and then just kind of came to the conclusion that a, not only do we have a, you know, we're already friends with you and know you well, but B, we just decided this is the right answer anyway. We're not going to make this more complicated than it needs to be. So thanks for coming back. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. And and now we've laid all of the pressure on your shoulders. Right. So so make sure to make sure to not mess it. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Um. So so let's start in the place that is start in the place that a lot of people will start with the Big East this year. And that's the fact that not only does the Big East have a lot of new coaches this year, the Big East has a lot of high profile new coaches for lots of different reasons, whether it's Shaheen Holloway and doing what he did at St. Peter's, whether it's right. Thad Mata returning to Butler as a guy that has an alarmingly high um, one percentage as a college basketball coach or Sean Miller coming back to Xavier and, and coaching for the first time since everything that that happened at Arizona. I guess, you know, just on the surface, and then we'll kind of get into different different aspects of the coaching changes. Um, how how big of a shakeup is the the new coaching roster uh, in the Big East? and what they're bringing to to the conference this upcoming season. Yeah, you know, and you don't even mention maybe the most important one of the offseason. Oh, and Jay Wright retiring. Right, and that um, one too, sorry. Yeah. So, so, like, yeah, it's, it's a huge shakeup. And I think kind of all of it together creates a more, um, a better competitive balance maybe within the conference. Um, that isn't to say that Kyle Neptune's not going to be a great head coach at Villanova. It's just replacing Jay Wright is going to be an impossible task for anybody because that's that's a program legend in every sense of the term um and I, and I think really it's Seton Hall is a little bit different it's a changing of coaching but I don't think necessarily the program was in bad shape before either um, sure. I think Seton Hall is going to remain very solid Kevin Willard was successful there and I think Shaheen will be successful there too perhaps for different reasons um but successful regardless and for Xavier and Butler I think it's probably two of the program's with really good program tradition, um, more localized. And I think that bringing back bigger name head coaches that, that have had success at their programs and at big name programs 
um, for both that at Ohio State and Sean Miller at Arizona had success, uh, really raises the profile for programs that really should have raised profiles um, in, in the Big East. And, and neither one has necessarily made um, those postseason jumps that we thought some could. Butler made its runs in the Rise League. Xavier has had some really good regular season teams, um, but hasn't really made those runs in the postseason where I think that Miller and Mata have the potential to give the Big East, not just to join the likes of Creighton and UConn as well, gives the Big East more teams that have second weekend potential or more programs that have second weekend potential in the next five or seven years um, than it has been in the past where it's pretty much been Villanova. Is there one of those four coaching changes you listed that you look at and expect to be the most impactful right away you, you talked about the long-term implications of it and certainly there's validity to that but specifically looking at this season is there I mean I guess it's hard for Kyle Neptune to have a massive positive impact considering what he's inheriting but is there one of those guys that you feel like there's going to be a massive jump from last season to this season in part because of that coaching hire yeah I think both Xavier and Butler are in that camp uh, for different reasons though uh, I think Xavier's been Xavier's had talent. It's been close. They just really fumbled down the stretch for four straight years. Right. Um, where they probably they, they realistically could have made the tournament all those years and they missed every year. Um, and would have missed in the COVID year because of their loss in the Big East tournament to DePaul. Or at least I think they would have missed regardless. Um, they would have been in those first eight teams out probably. Um, and I think they they still have that talent this year. They bring back a great front court. Um, Nungie's back, Fremantle's back. I think Colby Jones is probably an all-conference guy this year, and I think he's he might be their best player. Um, he was really good in the NIT. Um, I think he takes another jump this year to be probably a second-teamer um, in the Big East. And I think for Butler, Butler's in a place where they've obviously struggled the last two seasons. Um, but there's been, there's been flashes, and there's that young core that's there. Um, with Chuck Harris, uh, Jaden Taylor, Simas Lukosius. I think a healthy Miles Tate is probably part of that core too um, as a reserve guy. And then, and I think part of why I'm optimistic with, with that Mata coming in is that Mata really did a good job in the transfer portal. Uh, he got a lot of guys that really changed the way Butler can play. I think you look at Butler in the Big East, has, has had success. It had success under Chris Holtman, had a really good year with Kamar Baldwin and, and Laval Jordan. Um, but none of that is associated with rim protection. Every single time it mm. felt like as a Butler fan or someone who follows Butler, um, it kind of just felt like every time Butler was matched up with UConn the last two years, like this isn't going to go well. Um, just because UConn had so much size, it was, it was that kind of matchup that I think Butler won't have as much problems with this year. Um, just by adding Manny Bates and Dylan Thomas, their defense can really change. Um, and that aspect, I don't, I don't, I think Butler's probably taking a leap from more towards the bottom of the conference into the bubble conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Xavier takes that jump from bubble conversation into second weekend. When it comes to Xavier, how much stumbling down the stretches, it was it more Travis Steele in your opinion than it was what was happening on the court or is, are there things that in addition to Sean Miller coming in that you need to see from what actually Xavier is putting on the court with those guys to kind of take that next step into not underachieving or is the coaching change going to do a lot of that? You know, I think, I think it's kind of a combo. I think if, if Travis Steele was back this season, I think there's something to be said for the guys who know last year, at least, or two years ago, 
um, were places where they could have been in the NCAA tournament and missed mm. it. There's some of that unfinished business where maybe Travis Steele would have gotten them back to the tournament this year anyways. Uh, but I think Sean Miller brings – he's already brought a ton of recruiting success this summer. I think that that's already increased um, the fan experience for Xavier right now, and I think they're going to come into the year with, with high expectations as, as a fringe top 25, maybe top 35 team in the country. Uh, and I think that's about right. Uh, I think they've got a lot of really nice pieces. Desmond Claude coming in as a freshman, I think it's going to play big minutes for them too. Uh, I like Suli Boom in the backcourt. They've got options. I think that they're probably going to take – I don't know if it's necessarily a change in coaching that will change the late season thing, but maybe it is. Um, but I just think it's unlikely they're going to have another collapse, I feel like. It's just they're due for a breakthrough. And I think it's a breakthrough that, that puts them in single-digit seed conversation and, and maybe can make a deeper run. Looking at the conference as a whole, where do you see it stacking up nationally? I just feel like there's some interesting – questions heading into the season in terms of right you've got these high profile high profile coaches coming in how is that all going to work Villanova's roster is not you know bringing back a first team all-american caliber guy and you have a new coach there Creighton is also on paper looking really really good with a proven coach and Greg McDermott where do you feel like heading into the season the Big East sits with the other high major conferences yeah, you know, I think this kind of comes down to how much do you trust Creighton to be a top 10 team in the country? Uh, because they're probably that team at the top right now that really qualifies as a national title contender. Um, but they're also not traditional in that sense. They're not one of the teams that's always in that conversation. They haven't really made deep runs. Um, so I think it, it really comes down to how much you believe in this Creighton group. And I'm not quite sure I'm there yet. Um, I think they're more of a top 10 kind of team, top 10, 15. Um I have them closer to Nova nationally than I do like the top five. Um, so I think it comes down to that, but I think overall they're probably still the big East is probably still sitting in that fourth or fifth best conference in the country range. I mean, you got the, the big 12, big 10 SEC um, are probably a little bit higher in that category. Um, and then the ACC this year has, has those top dogs. I mean, North Carolina is probably going to be the preseason number one team in the country. Um, and Duke, as long as they get Derek Whitehead back from injury early enough in the season and he gets chemistry together, they're going to be really good again. Um, so they're probably in that fifth in the country range in terms of conferences. Do you believe in Creighton's sizable jump on the offensive end? Right, yeah. because that's the thing that – right. they're either a mainstay in the top 25 or if they're closer to a national title contender, that end of the floor is going to be the reason why. And really, it's behind the arc to me. I mean, they right. just weren't a very good three-point shooting team last year, um, and they lost their two best shooters in Ryan Hawkins and Alex O'Connell. Like, obviously, bringing in Baylor Shireman is – honestly, there could not be a better fit for a big-time transfer who, who really has, did everything for South Dakota State and won't have to do that for Creighton, but he has mm-hmm. those ancillary skills. I mean, he shot 47% from three last year in pretty high volume with the Jackrabbits. Like, he's got that skill where if he's – if he's asked to play make, he can. If he's really just going to be their primary three-point shooter, then he'll do that just fine. So it'll come down to, to an extent, if Arthur Kaluma and Ryan Nemart can really stretch the floor a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I know there's talks of Ryan Kalkbrenner stretching um, a little bit more this season, too. Uh, Francisco Farabello comes in from TCU as a guy who can kind of shoot it um, as an off-ball guy. And Mason Miller obviously has the bloodlines of being a really good shooter. Um, so I think, I think that's kind of – I think a really Creighton really is kind of that 
that mystery box top 10 team where like they could be awesome, but we also don't really know if they're going to be awesome. Is any part of your hesitation related to the sort of track record of Creighton in terms of that? That's what fascinates me about this team in particular is they're the complete opposite of what you associate Creighton with, right? It's they're going to shoot the lights out. They're going to take a bunch of threes, but they aren't consistent enough defensively to go win three, four or five games in March when it matters, because you're not going to shoot 38% from three every game. This team has it all together defensively. And the three point shooting is the question. Does that sort of the change in blueprint factor it all into how you view this team and what they could end up being? Maybe to an extent, I think part of it is just Creighton is the team that succeeded preseason expectations better than any team in the Big East since the new Big East. Um, if you look at the coaches poll versus where they finish um, in conference records, nobody has exceeded expectations more than Creighton. And, and this year they're going to enter number one. Um, they're really in a different territory than they've been before. And they also are entering that territory without having done it before. They didn't do it last year. Um, it's not like they're returning the, 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 as the Big East reigning champs. Um, it's a lot falling on a sophomore class that was good last season, but not like a lot of the water returning. But I think that it, it's a lot of can they take the next steps from being good players to great players? That's like all of them to hit this, to hit the really high ceiling. And, and I think that there's a lot of, a, a lot of fun with that group. And I think that part of that has overshadowed the fact that Ryan Kalkbrenner might be the biggest player of the year. Mm. Um, but so I think you make a good point, but it really isn't really a difference in scheme because it, it really just comes down to, can they fit their scheme? Is there <laughs> shooting to bring back the offense they've had from a few years ago uh, while maintaining what was a really, really good defense last year. So you said that Villanova and Creighton in your national rankings much closer together than certainly Creighton to the kind of those elite, elite national title contenders. Do you feel the same way in the Big East with the way that a regular season title might shake out? Um, is it just Creighton and Villanova and then there's a drop off? How do you kind of how are you looking at the the top of the conference along with Creighton heading in heading into the year? Yeah, those are definitely my two favorites. Um, they're not the only ones that I'm really giving top 25 consideration to. Um, I think UConn and Xavier are both in that mix. Um, UConn obviously brings back a proven star and another probably a likely preseason front or preseason player that you're front runner in Um, And they also have a breakout star coming back in, in Jordan Hawkins. So I think they're probably in that mix. I think UConn is probably the team that's the biggest threat to those top two um, in the preseason. And then Xavier – uh, we'll see how much the coaching change really impacts them. Um, and if Colby Jones takes that next step and if um, Zach Fremantle can get back to who he was before the injury. One of the things we do on our preview is we identify the team we're most excited by and most intrigued by in every conference. Doesn't have to mean you think they're actually going to be good. You might just find them really interesting. What teams kind of stick out to you now that we've mentioned decent amount of them or that you're just sort of interested in to see what they can be doesn't necessarily have to do anything with their expectations i mean st john's is wildly interesting <laughs> um, like I, I really don't know what to make of this team i mean they're they're probably going to start four guys who shot under 30 percent from three <laughs> um which i but like they have 
a, they have a really good defensive point guard, maybe the best perimeter defender in the country in Posh Alexander. Um, uh, Andre Curbelo, a former preseason All-American type guy last year who never really lived up to that at Illinois, had some turnover issues, but comes into a position where he gets to play alongside another playmaking guard. Um, he'll show some flashes. Not says Mathis is back. David Jones has an intra-concert transfer from DePaul um, who can be an all-conference guy if St. John's is good. And I think um, Joel Soriano is kind of ready for a bigger jump this year after he put together like pretty modest numbers a year ago. But th- they're super interesting because I'm like just from a sheer player by player standpoint, there's a lot of talent on this group that can make the NCAA tournament. But also, Mike Anderson has just kind of put together pretty middle of the road Big East team so far, and this this team just doesn't have shooting on paper. Um, and, and obviously, paper is what it is. If they come out this season and they start shooting the three ball well and their defense turns into more than just the occasional turnover, but they actually stop guys at the rim too, they can be super dangerous. It's just a matter of how can everything really come together for them um, after, and especially after losing Shen Penny too. I refuse to believe in an Andre Corbello led basketball team until I see it. I refuse. I refuse. Maybe that's not fair to Posh Alexander, but that's a guy like he's the epitome of sometimes it's so bad. You have, you like want to look away, but you can't just because it's so mesmerizing. Um, but at the same time, and, and I'm very quick to be short on Andre Corbello and my faith in him, but right. There were times two years, like that's why it was going to be like Corbello was one of the big reasons why it was Illinois was going to be okay. After IO left, after I went to the NBA, it was like, yeah, but look at what Corbello did last year uh, or, or what he did this year, step into a bigger role. And then right. There was some injury stuff and then it just kind of never turned into the season it was supposed to, but all of a sudden he's, I, I I'm terrified to put any faith in, into that guy until I, until I see him maybe just take care of the basketball. I don't know. They're really just an extremely interesting team. And they're really, yeah. hard, they're really hard to place because quite frankly, if everything comes together, they could be a top four or five team in the big East. Mm-hmm. Um, they could also turn into a fireball in a hurry. Like I, I have, I have almost no idea what to expect from St. John's coming in this year outside. I, I think consistency of Mike Anderson is not necessarily a compliment either. Mm-hmm. Um, but the consistency of Mike Anderson coach teams probably leads me to believe they're sitting around the bubble as probably the sixth to ninth best team in the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, and that's all I can, I, I'm right there with you. You picked up exactly kind of what we're trying to get at when we talk about exciting and intriguing, right? It's the idea of St. John's has a track record of rosters that are somewhat in, at least interesting, if not flat out exciting that, don't really live up to expectations. And now you have thrown Andre Curbelo and the wild card he is into that mix. It could just go any direction. Speaking of transfers, we'll just continue on to in that vein. There are a a good deal of teams, including St. John's, but certainly not limited to St. John's, that are going to be heavily reliant on the transfers they're bringing in, whether it's just simply a guy at Creighton like Baylor Shireman or a series of two, three, four guys for some other teams. What group of transfers do you feel like in this conference is going to end up being the most important when we look back on this season? Yeah, I think that really comes down to who you really believe in being very good. Uh, Because I think two teams really stand out in that group. 
But also, I, I hesitate to not include Creighton because I think Baylor Shireman has the potential to be the guy that takes Creighton from very good to elite title contender, which I think even as just one transfer addition and Farabello as well, but really just one like high profile addition in Baylor Shireman, he has the potential to be the most important transfer in the entire conference because of how important taking the leap from great to, to excellent really can be. Um, but I think the other two um, are Providence and Butler. Providence proved it last year um, with a really transfer-laden roster, put together a really good season, obviously, like in one of the best seasons in regular season history for the Friars. Um, I think we're kind of hoping for a rerun with an entirely different cast um, for the most part this year. I mean, they bring in Noah Locke, Devin Carter, Bryce Hopkins, Corey Floyd, Clifton Moore. I mean, it's a ton of new faces that are probably all going to be in the rotation um, around around Jared Bynum and Eddie Crosswell, who former transfers in their own right. So, so I think there's a lot to really kind of fit together with Providence. And I think a lot of the preseason, not necessarily hype, because it's not like they're getting preseason top 25 votes, but the, the reason to believe in them as an NCAA tournament team and maybe a top five finish in the Big East is what happened last year. Um, and, and it's an interesting way of looking at things, because a lot of times we talk about what happened last year gives us hope for this year because they bring back talent and like they made steps forward and like they'll take another leap. Whereas Providence is, well, they did it last year with a group of transfers. Can Ed Cooley do it again? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that he's earned the benefit of the doubt that he can. And Jared Bynum is, you know, sixth man of the year in the conference last year, but he was also still a second teamer. Um, he's one of the better returning point guards in the league, and he'll take another step this year. Um, they're super interesting. And, and Butler is probably in the same right, just a little step below, I mean, different. Because Butler's transfer class is realistically probably going to fill out three of the five starting spots. Uh, Eric Hunter Jr. probably starts at the point, bringing Leah Lee in from Akron, who plays at the four, big body, more of a three, but he's six eight. He can really he can really fill out the four size wise and, and defensively. Um, not much of a rebounder, but that's where you hope. Um, Manny Bates coming in from NC State missed pretty much all of last season, save for forty five seconds or so. Um, it can really make a difference. And Jalen Thomas arrives from Georgia State as another big that can help offset some of the Lee's rebounding issues. Uh, so I think that there's those are two teams that really have a ton of transfers, that if the transfers come together, they're not only important pieces of potential NCAA tournament teams, but they're a lot of starters. Do you know where Providence finished in luck rankings at Kempom last year? <laughs> yeah. First. It- it, 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 which is a and and I don't even really know what the takeaway from that is there because right when it's Ed Cooley, there there has to at least be some some benefit of the doubt there. But it's right, it's a team that finished twenty seven and six. That based on the games that they played and how close a lot of those games were, I mean, we could have lost eleven games relatively easily nine games i mean it, it it was a super intriguing season and they did a lot of things like win close games with a team that hadn't been together very long and we're kind of running it back in a in a similar fashion to your point with a lot of new faces and a lot of new more importantly more important faces that are going to be key to providence having another you know top half of the conference year in, in the Big East. Yeah, and I think that the luck number of being number one gets tossed around really interestingly to me. It's just mm-hmm. like we talk about Providence taking a step back because they were, oh, so lucky last year. 
that's not going to happen again. Yet we talk about the team that finished 28th in the country in luck last year and went 23 and 12 as a nine seed Creighton um, as a <laughs> like preseason top 10 team in the country. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting. It's just kind of picking out like the, the fact is four of the top seven teams in luck ratings made the NCAA tournament last year. Mm-hmm. The phrase is better to be lucky than good is overused, but it certainly helps to be good and lucky. Yeah. Yeah, you got to put yourself in a position to be lucky, right? I feel like that, if nothing else, that's what Providence did last season. Is they were just there in every game, giving themselves a chance to win in those final few possessions. And, and, they, and they made plays every time. It, just, it, really, it really felt like every time they were going to make a play. The, the other part of this I want to touch on quickly is the bottom of this conference. I'm looking at the DePaul's, Georgetown's, Marquette's of the world. That's an insult. And, well, the, here's the point I want to make with this, though, and get your thoughts. Georgetown has – you talk about random collection of players. I mean, Georgetown might have the most random collection in the country with all of the transfers and completely rebuilt roster. But a lot of guys who have high major experience and some high major success there, trying to completely forget about what happened last season – DePaul, yes, DePaul lost a lot, but you've got a couple interesting transfers. You still have Nick on Genda. There, I, I would argue there is at least some hope. And then Marquette, yes, you you lost a lot. You were hoping not to lose Justin Lewis. Mm-hmm. But there are plenty of players coming back, and I think what you were getting at is this is also Shaka Smart, and you might not want to bet against him and bet against this Marquette program. I just picked those three teams in particular, but I feel like yeah. – the bottom of this conference might not be as bad as it typically is. I don't see a team where you quickly identify them as a one or two win team in conference. Like has been the case. It feels like in the past five or so seasons between DePaul and Georgetown. Am I way off on that? Yeah. I don't know. It's tough. Cause I think some of that's swayed by the fact that Georgetown went 0 19 last year. Like who was second lowest in wins last year? Butler and DePaul both won six games. Like, that's really not that bad. Now, obviously, each of those took two from Georgetown. But <laughs> I think that there's something to be said for the bottom. Just really hasn't been that bad. It was just that last year at the way bottom. Like, DePaul mm-hmm. won 15 and 16 last season um, and, and won its fair share of games. Um, particularly at home, they kicked up wins over Seton Hall, St. John's, and Marquette. Um, so I think, I think we'll probably see – an improved bottom, partially because I just think there's better um, balance throughout the league. Like there really isn't that much of a difference, I think, between four and eight. Reasonably, I could see kind of going any which way. Um, what well, that that never happens in the Big East. Of the of the like, with the way that it is, <laughs> I think that is four through eight, like I don't think four is going to be a top twenty-five team. Like I think there's mm. probably three top twenty-five teams in the league. So when the fourth best team. And the eighth best team are probably somewhere between 30 and 50 nationally. Sure. Those are beatable teams, especially at home for the bottom of the league. On the other side of it, do you, how many wins is going to win the conference, right? In theory, if the bottom of the conference is a little better, there aren't as many wins to go around for the top of the conference. I mean, last year we're looking at, you know, 14 and three, 16 and four in, in conference. Like that's, that's a lot of conference wins. Is it? Is it? And granted, that's a twenty-game schedule, so it's a little different. Province played seventeen, right? For some teams, right? 
are we going to be in kind of the same 16 ballpark again? Maybe something closer to 14 and six, 15 and five. Um, yeah, I like 15 and five, maybe 16 and four, but I, I like 15, five, 16 and four is one of those two spots. Um, I want to talk to you about the best players in this conference. Mm-hmm. Um, because the only guy coming back from a first team all big east a year ago is Adam Sonoga. Mm-hmm. Um, and on top of that, right, the one thing that we're always sure about going into a big east season, at least it's felt that way for the last. I don't know, 10 years is, oh yeah, that guy's going to be like an all American caliber guard. And I, he's been in college for three years and you just kind of know who that guy is, whether it's, you know, Colin Gillespie, the last couple of years, Jalen Brunson, maybe it's a combination of Marcus Howard and Miles Powell. I, 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 I don't see that guard this year in terms of, yeah, yeah. That's the kind of the backcourt guy that's going to, define the group as a conference um and then just in general right who is the who are the guys that are going to kind of fill out that first team all big east the guys that we look back and think okay yeah those are the guys that that kind of defined the conference this year um at the end of it and it's a you know it's a group that needs to be filled because it's pretty empty based on who left last year yeah, you know, I think that guy that you talk about that's missing this year is sitting on the sidelines from an Achilles injury until probably January. Mm. Um, and, and Justin Moore, I think right. he's probably that guy if he's healthy. Um, kind of feels like that. Ryan Archiakino is gone. Here's Tom Gillespie. Tom Gillespie's gone. Here's Justin Moore. Right. Um, kind of thing. And I think in that absence, um, I actually have two of them old guys on my first team all conference still. Um, so to kind of run that through, I my first team all conference in preseason, I, I think it is, is Jared Bynum's back as an all-conference guy last year, I think he t- steps into a bigger role this season, even as a starter. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's a safe pick. Um, my two Villanova guys, I went with Caleb Daniels. I think that he's going to take a big leap. Um, I know Gillespie was high on him, taking a, a potential Big East player of the year this year um, in, in a bigger role, uh, former transfer who's really going to be one of those, going to be the experienced piece of the backcourt for them this year. Right. Uh, especially while Moore is out for most of for non-conference and probably part of the conference schedule. Um, and then obviously Villanova's had kind of a mixed history with top 50 recruits um, in the past. Obviously there's been guys who have been super successful um, and others that just haven't really found it or they had injury issues, but Cam Whitmore is as electric as there is in the freshman class. Um, he's got an incredibly physically prepared body for the big East and he's just unbelievably explosive. I think he's going to be a really, really good piece for them. Um, obviously, as you already mentioned, Sonogo is a first-team in lock. Like, just mm-hmm. yeah. set it in stone. If he's not a first-team all, all Big East guy, I'll be shocked. Um, and then the guy who was probably snubbed from an all-conference team, uh, second-team selection last year was Ryan Kalkbrenner, right. yeah, yeah. Um, who I think is probably going to be in the mix, I, not only for – a first team selection, but a defensive player of the year selection, maybe a big East player of the year selection. I think he's going to be, um, he's up there with the most impactful two-way players in the country. Um, I think he'll compete with Sonova for the player of the year award for most of the year. See, we've been, this is kind of a tangent, but we, we've been joking about this idea that if you're going to pull out a preseason All-American first team, you might as well just put five centers on there mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, have, Drew Timmy playing point guard with Trey Jackson Davis at shooting guard or something. And even in a conference, I guess this is just a a conversation about bigs, but this idea that 
even in a conference that doesn't have those five guys you would identify as the five best bigs in the country, we're still talking about Sonogo and Kalkbrenner as two of the obvious picks to be some of the best players in the Big East. Do you feel like this conference is going to be, and you've talked about Manny Bates at Butler, you can go down the list, what Xavier has returning in the front court. Do you expect even this conference, which isn't necessarily associated with, you know, this era of the bigs and all the guys in the Big Ten and Timmy and all that to be just as dominant on the interior based on who's coming back and sort of the guys who might take that next step? I chuckle a little bit as I look at five guards on my second team all Big East. <laughs> um, so so to an extent, yes, I think Sonogo is probably as difficult to guard as anybody in the conference. But I think to counteract your point is the bigs in the conference that really added or like rising into bigger roles this season are really defensively oriented. Like you mentioned Manny Bates at Butler. Like he's a guy who can help limit a guy like Sonogo. Um, and Kalkbrenner is obviously a proven commodity, but in that same mold um, as a guy who's a really, really good defender um, who can really step into that on agenda's back after averaging almost two blocks a game. Curtis Wahab is back after having, you know, blocking a fair amount of shots at Georgetown a few years ago. Um, I think even Ed Crosswell coming into a bigger role at Providence, he was for stretches, obviously played fewer minutes than Nate, but for stretches played better last season for them. Um, I think there's just a lot of depth in terms of defensive bigs in the league where it won't necessarily be as offensively dominated um, outside of those couple that I think have really proven themselves already in Sonogo, Kalkbrenner, and then Jack Nungy as well. Okay, so who who are your second your second team all guards then? So it's a, it's a little tricky because I think some of these selections here can go a lot of different ways. Like I think I, I put Colby Jones on my second team from Xavier. Um, I'm really high on Colby Jones getting into um, how well he played, not only in the NIT, but his last 10 games overall of last season. He really put on a put up bigger numbers, really took on a bigger role. I think he's going to probably um, take on a lot of ball handling this year with a team that doesn't really have a true point um, for the Musketeers. So I gave him the slight edge, but like, I wouldn't be remotely upset if anyone put Jack Nungy on the second team. I think he probably um, – but I might even belong over guys that I'd other mentioned, but I really just, I have Xavier put in um, fourth in the league. So I really just wanted to make it um, one guy in the second team. So he's the guy I picked there. Um, Jordan Hawkins is probably the breakout guy of the league um, at UConn. I think they're going to, I have them finishing in the top 20. I have them in my preseason top 25. Um, I think he's probably that second fiddle um, for Sonogo. I can see him getting up towards that 14 points a game kind of range this year. I mean, I kind of feel the same way about Chuck Harris at Butler taking another step this season. He's got more help around him, um, won't have as much pressure to have to self-create, which I think has been part of the issue with his three-point shooting this past year is he really didn't have much. Like, there's a lot of too many deep threes. I mean, I think he'll have better looks this season. And, and I think he showed flashes down the stretch, as he did as a freshman, um, down the stretch of being able to create, but not necessarily from distance, being able to get to his 15-footer, being able to finish with both hands at the rim, um, I think he kind of comes out as one of the leading scorers in the conference, somewhere at 15 or 16 maybe, um, which sounds like a lot for a Butler team. But I think you're going to see Butler put up a lot more points this season because uh, Tad Mono just played the faster style of basketball. Uh, Creighton's a really tough team to figure out who your second team all-conference guy is. Kind of take, take your pick, honestly. Right. Uh, you could include two if you want, Trey Alexander, Ryan Emmert, Arthur Kaluma. Baylor Shireman, any of them can be all-conference. I went with Ryan Nemhart. He was my biggest freshman of the year pick. 
in the preseason last year. He ended up winning it. I'm riding with Nemhart when he's healthy. I think he's extremely good. He's my second team guy for Creighton. But really, take your pick out of any of those guys. Take your pick of two if you want. Um, and then I rounded out with Pasha Alexander, who I think is probably the most second team guy that can leap into the first team. Um, probably gets a little bit of a drop to my second team because I'm not convinced St. John's is going to be a tournament quality team, um, which kind of just hits him. But he's a really good creator, the best perimeter defender in the conference. And I don't think anything anyone is really in his same league in that area. Uh, and I think he'll be the the go-to piece for the Red Storm. Who wins the conference in the regular season? And what's that that thing that kind of lifts that team above above everyone else? I'll go with Creighton because I think that they have they have roster continuity at, at the main positions and they bring back four out of five guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, four out of their top four other starters played for the team last year most of the way. I think they're gonna probably end up starting them hard, Alexander Coloma and um Kalkbrenner again. Um, and I think bringing back a coach also helps. So I think that's probably the edge over Villanova there is Villanova will have at least obviously Kyle Neptune probably won't change much long time assistant under Jay Wright. But I think that there's a learning curve there that I think Creighton just has an overall continuity edge um, in that respect. And Greg McDermott's a, a pretty good coach. Excellent. Yes. Very good at coach. <laughs> I might be, I might be the president of the fan of the Greg McDermott fan club at this point. Super impressed by his just taking, making quality teams out of completely different types of teams. Right. Um, I mean, and then this year, I mean, I think there's an argument that this is the most well-rounded Creighton team he's ever had. If the, if the offense takes a, a marginal step forward, marginal, I don't even know what that word means. A, a step forward that you'd like them to take into a quality of offense that can be in the realm of national title contender, then you've got some balance there that even those those best teams, you know, the team that finished 12th at Kempom, I mean, that's still a team that was a sub-75 Kempom defense. And there might be some some balance between both sides of the four that I don't think he's had before, which is an exciting proposition, assuming that the offense takes a step forward. Lucas, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us about the Big East. It is always a pleasure to have you on the pod. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later.